You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Comment multiple times to people, oh, what a beautiful wedding. What a beautiful wedding. Oh, the bride was gorgeous. The groom was handsome. The setting was amazing. And we had a beautiful, beautiful wedding. It was so neat. I have never been to an ugly wedding. I've never been to an ugly wedding. Um, But unfortunately, I've seen ugly marriages. And I wonder, what happened between the beautiful wedding and the ugly marriage? My oldest son is engaged to be married a little over a year from now. And this is the site that he's going to be having his wedding at. It's in Laguna Beach, California. And they've already reserved this location. And it's a beautiful setting. It's in the Laguna Canyons. It's outdoors. It has fountains. It has trees. It has lights. It's going to be at twilight. It's going to be beautiful at night. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. But my prayer for my son and for his fiance is not for a, a beautiful wedding before a beautiful marriage. And when I counsel, when Carol and I work together and we counsel young couples as they're getting married, we tell them that our goal in counseling is to help them to have a great wedding. Our goal is to help them to have a great marriage. And so today I'm speaking to marrieds and unmarrieds. And so for those of you who are married, it'll be easy to apply. But for the unmarried, I want you to imagine that this is what God's will is for you should you ever be married. That this is what God wants for us. This is the prescription for a beautiful marriage. God wants us to experience this in our lives. God wants this to be the way that families are made, both today and tomorrow and for all of eternity. So would you stand with me, and we'll read the scriptures together? Let us begin. And so we're going to be reading Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thank you. Please be seated. 
So God wants us to understand the meaning of marriage. And there's four main subjects, four main nouns in this passage. And you've read them. They are wives, and they are husbands, and they are Christ, and they are the church. And so today, we're going to talk about the responsibilities of husbands and wives. Now, I know that there are some husbands and wives sitting next to each other, so I have just one instruction for you today. It's one prohibition today, okay? And that is no elbows, okay? So no elbows, no doing this, all right? Okay? And the reason is that if you're a wife... Listen to the portion that is for wives. If you're a husband, listen to the portion that is for husbands. And for everybody, listen to that when we talk about Christ and his church, because that's all of us. So Paul begins where we are going to begin, and that is with wives. And the word for wives here is submission. I know that's a very, very dangerous word, right? It's a very scary word. And so I want to tell you a story about submission in my own life with my own wife. Um, Carol and I began dating uh, many years ago, and we were separated. Carol was in Los Angeles, and I was in San Diego. And I was, I'm seven years older than Carol, and so when we met, I was 25 and she was 18. And so I was ready for marriage, but she was not, okay? So in one year's time, I was ready to propose to Carol. And so I did. And she's still in college. She's only a sophomore. And so I proposed to her, right? And what did Carol do? Does she jump up for joy? And, and, and is she really happy? No, no. She just breaks down and she just starts to cry. She just starts to weep. And, and I knew that wasn't a happy crying. And I knew that was not a yes, right? And so I went home down to San Diego, and I was so discouraged, and, and I was so afraid. And um, I didn't know what was going to happen uh, to our relationship after that. I thought I'd blown it. Uh, but lo and behold, I, I received a letter from Carol. And I'm like, oh, no. You know, this is the dear, dear Curtis letter. And uh, it's the goodbye. And so I opened the letter, and essentially it says this. It says, dear Curtis, I know that you are ready for marriage, but I am not. Therefore, I want to release you so that you can be free to go and find a woman of your dreams so you can get married. But if you don't want to, I'll be here for you. Love, Carol. What do you think was in my heart at that very moment? Was my heart like, all right, I'm free. You know, I'm going to go look for somebody else now. No, it wasn't. My moment, at the moment I finished reading that letter, I knew, I knew I wanted to wait for that woman. I knew I wanted to wait until she would be ready for us to get married. Now, my question is, who submitted Who submitted? Did Carol submit? Well, yeah, she did. She anticipated my need. She she anticipated what she thought I needed. She submitted to that. She was willing to sacrifice a relationship that she enjoyed and had hoped for 
so that I could have what I wanted or what she thought I wanted. Did I submit? Nod your head. Yes, I did, right? I submitted to her by waiting. I didn't force. It was another four years before we got engaged. God helped us both to submit in that situation. But who submitted first? Carol did. And to me, this is an example of what God is teaching us. In this passage, when God tells a wife to submit, there is a reason for it, and there is a purpose for it. And this was the practical example of it. I don't think Carol was thinking about Adam and Eve at that moment. But in reality, the idea of submission begins in creation. It begins in the order of creation. In Genesis chapter 2, 22, the Bible says, Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. He brought her to the man. So who was first? The man was first. And then God created the woman. God created the woman so that the man would not be alone, so that he would have companionship. But the man was first. And in that, God kept the man first to be the leader, to be the giver, to be the caregiver, to be the protector. I love what the commentator Matthew Henry says about this passage in Genesis 2.22. He says that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor made out of his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. That God made the woman second, but he made her under the rib, under the heart from the man. And this is the order of creation. This is the way God meant it to be. Paul also wants us to understand that the woman submits because it's also an analogy. It's an analogy of the relationship between Christ and the church. Could you help me with the slide? Thank you. As Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now the church submits to Christ. So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. God has created an order. God wants the husband to love his wife, but he wants the wife to submit to the husband in the same way as the analogy is that we as Christians submit to the head, as we as Christians submit to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11, 13, Three, it says, now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. That God himself is the head of Jesus. Jesus is the head of the man. Therefore, even though the man is the head of the woman, he does so in the same manner that God is the head of Jesus. And he does so in the same love and compassion that, the, that Christ has for the church. That this submission happens in an atmosphere of love. And he is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. He died for his church. He died for his bride. Now, the the husband is to have that same attitude. 
But as the Savior, Jesus loves us, so the husband is to love. Jesus protects us, so the husband is to protect. Jesus provides for us, so the husband is to provide. Jesus suffers for us, so the husband should suffer, even for the wife. So this is a submission that a wife does out of love for her husband, out of love for Jesus. This is her obedience to Jesus. Now at the beginning, we notice in verse 21 that it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That means everybody. Every person, every Christian, every man, every woman is called by God to submit to others out of reverence for Christ. That's the general command. But the specific command that this becomes in marriage is first to the wife that she submits to her husband. And then we'll see the husband's way of his submission in just a moment. Dr. Warren Wearsby says this about submission. This does not mean that she becomes her husband's slave. For the husband is also to submit to Christ. And if both are living under the lordship of Christ, there can be only harmony. Headship is not dictatorship. It should be each for the other, both for the Lord. Now, maybe at this very moment, there's a lot of husbands whose elbows are really itching right now, right? He's like, wow, that's good, Pastor Curtis. Thank you. Hit it to my wife. She's supposed to submit to me. But you know what, husbands? I don't think that we are ever to take this verse and say, honey, look at this verse. You are to submit to me. Paul is speaking to the whole body. God is speaking to our wives, not us. And so God should be the one that we are seeking to listen to. Wives, what is God saying to you, women, when it comes to this issue? It's your obedience to Jesus, not your obedience to your husband. That's the issue. And God calls us into this relationship. But remember, as Dr. Wiersbe says, each for the other and both for the Lord. So that is the wives' way of submission. Now, if you look at the scriptures, you'll notice that there's almost twice as many words to husbands as there are to women. There's almost twice as many words to husbands as there are to women. And so, husbands, there's a lot for us to listen about. So, wives, I know your elbows may itch during this time, but but hold on. Let God speak to your husband. So, what is the specific way that husbands are to submit That general, remember, we are all to submit one to another. But now, what is the husband's way of submission? It is sacrifice. In verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And in the following verses, we're going to see six ways that Paul says that husbands are to sacrifice for their wives. And the first one is by loving them. In the same way that Jesus loved the church, what did he do? He gave himself for her. He surrendered himself for her. He was willing and he literally did die for her. Jesus is the bridegroom. And we, his church, are the bride. Would you read with me John 3, 29 and 30? Let's say it together. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. 
Those are the words of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. He recognized that he, representative of every Christian, is the bride of Jesus. And Jesus loves his bride so much. Jesus is the bridegroom. And so as we look back in Ephesians, what we see here is that God wants the husband to begin his relationship of submission by being ready to die for his wife. And literally throughout the marriage, to die to his own will for the sake of his wife, to die to his own desires for the sake of his wife. That doesn't mean that his desires aren't fulfilled. It means that they are fulfilled in the higher call of marriage and the purpose of marriage of both of you reflecting the love of Jesus Christ and of growing together. The husband's role is to help the wife become more like Jesus as he becomes more like Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. Which one would you rather be? Would you rather be the person who would have to die for someone you love? Would you rather be the person who would have to die for someone you love Or would you rather be the person who would submit to the person who would die for you? So think about that. Which one would you rather be? Would you rather be the person who has to die for the one you love? Or would you rather submit to the person who is willing to die for you? For me, I'd rather submit than die. I'd rather submit than sacrifice. I I think that would be a little easier, a little less painful. And as God is speaking to husbands here, I think he's asking them to do something that is totally a sacrifice of his whole being. A willingness to die for his wife. A willingness to give up his own self-will for her benefit. And Jesus literally did that for us. Jesus gave of himself. He surrendered himself. He died for his wife. And that is the first way that a husband shows sacrifice. The second way is by purifying, is by being willing to be purified through the living word of God. In verses 26 and 27, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, So make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. God wants us to live such a life that we are cleansing our marriage. That means that we have to first cleanse ourselves. The husband, this isn't a word just for what the husband does to the wife. How can you make somebody clean if you're dirty? That God wants us to be clean as husbands ourselves. He wants us to know the word of God. He wants the word of God to go into us, cleansing us, helping us to live more like Jesus, turning away from sin, being purified, being without stain, being without wrinkle, being without blemish. Then the husband is able to help keep his wife pure. And on our, our wedding day, the wife usually wears beautiful white. And, um, and my, my son, Gabriel, his, his fiance, is just so excited right now. And the biggest thing right now is for her wedding dress. And for those of you who've been married, I'm sure that was a big thing too. That on the day of your wedding, you were looking forward to finding the perfect wedding dress. And, and it's, it's, like I said, it's almost always white or, or just a little ivory or off-white. 
but it's always bright and beautiful. And so the picture here that I think Paul has for the husband is imagine that throughout your marriage, every day your wife is wearing that wedding dress. She is dressed in pure, beautiful white. And you are never, ever to get it dirty. You are to keep it stainless, spotless, and unwrinkled. It is a metaphor for the way that we are to live in life is to help our wives be pure, help them to grow in Christ, help them to know the Word of God. Husbands, if you brought your wife here to church today, you did a wonderful thing because you brought your wife to their true bridegroom that they might become more beautiful, that they might become more pure, that they might become more holy, that they might become less wrinkled. Doesn't every husband want a wife who's less wrinkled? God wants us. To have wives who are without wrinkles and spots, it's a good thing. What can we do? We read God's word together. I have three suggestions here for husbands and wives. And these are three books that I highly recommend. When Kara and I go to a wedding, we always buy one of these books um, for the couple that is getting married. We always give a devotional along with another gift to the couple. We don't want to be cheap. Um, but we give them a book, okay? We give them a book on, on, on how to continue their marriage. So three of them here, I highly recommend. Number one, Moments Together for Couples by Dennis and Barbara Rainey. Nightlight by James and Shirley Dobson. And Quiet Times for Couples by Dr. H. Norman Wright. All you have to do is read it. It's not easy. I know it's not easy. Leave it on the kitchen table so that you eat it when you read it when you eat together or leave it on your bedside. Read it before you go to sleep. Yeah, don't eat it. Read it. God wants us to be in the word. And the husband's job is to purify his wife through the word. And it's easy enough to buy a book. It's easy enough to read it. And your wife will really appreciate it. It'll be a blessing to both of you. The third way that Paul would have us to show a life of sacrifice for our wives is by treating her as a gift and from Jesus Christ and as a gift for Jesus Christ. To treat your wife as a gift from the Lord and treat your wife as a gift for the Lord. In verse 27 it says, And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Jesus is going to present his bride to himself as a radiant church. He does everything so that she's beautiful. So he presents her, he brings her to himself. In the same way the husband is to bring his wife towards himself to be able to present her not only to himself on earth, but someday before the Lord we're going to stand in judgment, husbands, of how we've treated our wives. We are going to stand in judgment and Jesus is going to ask us, Jesus is going to pursue whether or not we treated our wives in this way. Did we treat her as a radiant bride? Did we treat her with, with a manner and such that we saw her as glorious? That's what the word radiant means. It means glorious or even gorgeous. It's the same word that we say that God has glory. Doxa It's the same word. God wants us to treat our wife as a radiant bride. We accept all of her. We accept her good parts and we accept her faults. It's just like when I lead a wedding and I like to do the traditional vows, 
I like to have the traditional words. And it's like this, when a, a man was asked during the traditional vows, and the pastor said, do you take this woman for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health? And the man said, yes, no, yes, no, no, and yes. He took her for the parts that he liked. He liked the parts. Oh, I'll take her for the better. I'll take her for the richer. I'll take her in the health. But I don't want the worse. I don't want the poorer. I don't want the sickness. But when we said our vows, we made a promise. And we said we we're going to take all of it. We were going to take the hard part, and we were going to take the good part. We're going to take the dirty part. We're going to take the clean part. We're going to take the the part that we don't like, and we're going to take the part that we love, and we are going to continue to work together to become more holy in the Lord. And instead of blaming her for the things that she's done wrong, instead of saying that it's her fault for the reason why we have these problems, the husband takes the responsibility to make it a better marriage because he knows that he is going to be asked by God, did you treat your bride as a gift? And are you ready to give her to me as a gift? And what shape is the gift that you give to me? God wants us to love our wives and sacrifice to them by treating them as a gift from God. And you did that on your wedding day. On our wedding day, we for sure, we thought, man, this is the greatest gift God's ever given to me. And God wants us to grow from that, from having a beautiful wedding to having a beautiful marriage. Well, the fourth thing that God says that husbands are to do to show sacrifice and submission to their wives is to declare their faithful ownership of their wife. In verse 28, it says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. God wants us to have an ownership over our wives, to love them. He says, teach your wife as if it's your own body. Treat her like you would treat yourself. It's like the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Treat your wife the way you want to be treated. Love her as you love yourself. It doesn't say don't love yourself. It says love her as you love yourself. In fact, I would say it's by loving her that you love yourself. And when you don't love her, you're not loving yourself. Take ownership. She is your own wife. Like when I'm, I'm out and Carol and I are out and I'm introducing my wife to, to other people, you know, I don't just go up to them and go, hi, this is wife. Right? You know, I don't say that, right? You go, hi, this is this Carol, this is wife. You know, that's like, you know, me, Tarzan, you, Jane. Right? No! It's not like that. I, I go, this is, this is my wife. This is Carol. This is my wife. This is my bride. This is my love. This is who I am. You know, the reflection that your wife has to the world is a reflection of the husband. The reflection that your wife is to the world is a reflection of the husband. And God wants us to be that way because Christ is that way. Because isn't it true that the reflection of the Christian should be the reflection of Jesus? And the more we become like Jesus, the more we reflect his love into the world. And Paul had been talking about us being children of light. 
But God wants us to live as light in the world. He wants our marriages to be light in the world. He wants us to be people who treat one another as we want to be treated, not as property. They're our own. We have them as ownership. We don't treat them as property, but we treat them properly. That God wants us to treat one another properly. And he says, don't hate. Don't abuse your relationship. How do we hate? We, we hate by antagonizing. We hate by being sarcastic. We hate by being condescending. We hate by having a critical spirit. We hate by lecturing or nagging or complaining. We hate in so many different ways, and we can hate by neglecting our wives. We don't neglect our own bodies. We take care of it. And then Paul says, that, so it's just natural then that the fifth way for a husband to care and to sacrifice for his wife is to care for her by feeding her. And by feeding her with what? Feeding her with affection. In verse 29, at the end it says, but they feed and care for their body as Christ does the church. This word feed means to nourish. Husbands, they like to nourish their own bodies. Men love food. We are to nourish our wives. We are to encourage them, to help them to feel well-fed themselves in their spirit. And we are then also to care for them. And this word care means to warm, to warm. Remember when we were dating how we just wanted to warm the wife? It could be like today's weather, 100 degrees outside. We still wanted to hug them. We still wanted to feel their warmth. We wanted to cherish them. That's what the word means. Care means to cherish. It means to warm. It is a tender and physical affection. And God knows that women want this. Men know that's what they want too. But we are to give it as a gift free. To show her our affection. And to feed her with that kind of love and sacrifice. And then sixthly, we are to tell her how much we need her. We are to tell her how much she's important to us, how we cannot and do not want to live without her. In verse 30, it says, For we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are one now. When Carol and I were going through premarital counseling, our teacher told us that when you say, I do, and you come out of your wedding, it's like cement that has already set. That the moment you say, I do, it is like you are now cemented together as one. And there is no way to take that cement apart except to ruin it and to do harm to every part of it. And so when God brings us together as husbands and wives, he brings us together as one. But the joyful part of that and the wonderful part of that is that there is an intimate belongingness that we have to one another. We need each other. It's just like, I need my hand, I need my fingers, I need my feet, I need my legs, I need my toes, I need my limbs, I need my organs, I need my body. I don't cut out any part of it. And I don't ever say, I don't need you. I'd do better off without you. We need our spouses. We need our husbands because we have been made at the moment we became husband and wife, one flesh, one body. And it's a wonderful thing to declare that this is my wife or this is my husband. This is the one whom I love and the one who loves me. 
And when we do this, husbands and wives, when we submit, we are giving a picture to the world of Christ and the church. And so there's our other two nouns for us. There's the husband, there's the wife. And each represents Christ and the church. And Paul says, you know, this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. It is a profound mystery how this works out. And I'm sure Paul was looking at marriages around his day going, man, I don't know why Jesus does this. But he says the husband is like Christ and the wife is like the church. And despite all their flaws, despite all their struggles, despite all their differences, and despite the fact that they have so many different issues, they still represent the church to the world. And Christ loves her. Christ loves the church. And the biblical foundation here is the cross. The cross is the representative of what it means to live a life of submission. Jesus submitted himself on the cross for your good and for my good. In just a little bit, we're going to take communion together. And every time we do, we are proclaiming the centrality of our faith that Jesus died on the cross, that he gave his body, and that he shed his blood. And that he did that for our sins, and he did it so that we could be with him forever. He did it because he loves us. He did it because he forgives us. He did it because he wants to be one with us. He did it because not only does he want to be with us on earth and at the time of Christmas, but he wants to be us in eternity at the time of Easter when we're resurrected to heaven forever and ever, that we would be with him and that he would be with us. And Paul says, wow, man, this is a profound mystery. I don't fully get it, says Paul. But you know what? This is the truth. That husbands, you represent Christ to your wife. And wives, you represent the church to your husbands. And husbands, therefore, sacrifice and submit and love your wives and be willing to die for her, even on a cross like Jesus died for you. And wives, look up to that cross and see that man dying for you. And would you not submit to him? Would you not do what God asks you to do because you are obeying the Lord first, not him? To submit in such a manner is to do so with all of these things intact. Paul has here the ideal marriage in mind where the husband is so loving that the wife doesn't even think twice about submission. And the husband is so willing that he never has to even imagine having to ask his wife to submit because he loves her so much whether she submits or not. He's going to still sacrifice for her. He loves her that much. And that God would have us as a church to be that way to Jesus. That we will obey him no matter what. That we will do what he asks us to do no matter what. Because we will submit to him no matter what. Why? Because he died for us in every which way. For every sin we ever did. And God would have us to have this kind of love lived out. So that church is brought into the home where Christ lives, and that we live together. And when we come together as a worshiping community, we remember the sacrifice weekly. We remember the resurrection of Christ weekly as we gather on Sunday, the day that Jesus rose, and we remember the power of God's love over us daily. We remember the sacrifice of the cross, which is the symbol of our submission and the symbol of our sacrifice. And then what does this all lead us to? It leads us to love and respect for each other. So verse 33 says, however, each one of you, that means, you know, each husband, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And it also means each one of you wives must respect her husband. 
Husbands, love your wives. How do you do so? How do you love your wife? You do those six things. You sacrifice for her. Wives, how do you submit to your husband? You do it as unto the Lord. And you do it by respecting him. And by respecting what he stands for. By respecting him in the midst of his own struggles in life, his own sense of failure, his own sense of inadequacy, you still respect him. You show that respect to him. And you know how you show that respect to him? You tell him. You tell him, I respect you. On almost every card I get from Carol, whether it's birthday or whether it's Christmas or Easter, um, whether it's Father's Day or anniversary, she almost always writes, I respect you. Why? Because I told her to. Uh, <laughs> Because I, I, I told her years and years ago, I need to know you respect me. I need to, that's what I want more than anything else. And so she, she obeys, right? And every card she writes to me, she goes, you know, I respect you. See, she's submitting. And God would have us to have a relationship that loves and respects each other. What does Carol want to see on her card? You know, happy Mother's Day. I respect you. Actually, yes. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you would, as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect. Wives want respect, too. Respect them. Love them. I have an equation here, which you've maybe seen before, and I want you to fill in the blanks. Marriage is a... Blank, blank proposition. Now just think about it before you say anything. Blank, blank proposition. What do you think that is? How do you think you fill in the blank? Okay, so what, what are some of your thoughts? Marriage is a what? What would you say? Blank, blank proposition. I'll give you a hint. It's a number. Hmm, I hear the mumbling. Okay, I think some of you are saying, you know what? Marriage is a 50-50 proposition. How many of you are thinking that? You're thinking that? Nobody wants to admit to that? Good. Are, are you thinking this? That marriage is a 100-100 proposition. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for raising that hand. Yes. Marriage is a 100-100 proposition. Whatever you want, husbands, you want respect, you give it. Wives, whatever you want, you want love, you give it. Husbands, you want your wife to submit to you, you submit to them by your sacrifice and by your love. And this is the way of Christ. This is the way of love. This is the way of the church. This is the way that Jesus has for us. This is what our single people have to look forward to, to look forward to a marriage someday where God would live in that marriage in such a way that you will be so fulfilled to live out the relationship of Christ in the church. And to those of us who are already married, to have that as the experience of our lives, it can happen, it could begin today. It could begin right now. And it could begin by understanding in our hearts, this is it. This is the flashpoint. That Jesus, my groom, died for me. Jesus, my Savior, paid the price for my sin. And if he so did this for me, how can I not obey him? And he tells me, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, sacrifice for your wives. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the goodness of it. Lord, it's not always easy to listen to your word. It's not always easy to live the life of a Christian. But how beautiful it is. Lord, we pray that for the marriages here, that there would be a commitment today to beautifying their marriage, to live it out in the beauty of Christ and his church. We pray for those, Lord, who still long to be married, that in their heart they'd realize they really are married to Jesus as a believer. He is their bridegroom. They are his bride. But indeed, there is that hope that someday they will experience on earth a union with a man or with a woman that would give them a fulfillment of love that we read about here in Ephesians. And we pray, Father, they would be so committed to that even now as to pursue you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength to live a life of beauty in the name of Christ, to love one another, and to give of themselves, to be ready to give in marriage. And Lord, now we get to celebrate the mystery of the church. The mystery that Christ loved the church so much that the groom died for the bride. And that the groom paid for every sin, every mistake the bride ever made. And that is us. Heavenly Father, we have sinned. We have done that which is wrong and we have not done that which is right. And we are guilty. But you love us. In spite of our guilt, you died for us to show us that love. And the words on the cross are the words to us. Father, forgive them. And so to every heart here who has reached out to the Father and asked for forgiveness through Jesus Christ, they are part of this family, part of this meal. And we pray that as we partake in it now, it would be again a renewal, a reminder, a refreshment of our faith in you, that you love us so much that we will obey you and we will take of the cup and we will take of the bread and we will proclaim your death and your resurrection and your soon return. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.